Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 334, Joe and Big Al spitball about retirement readiness for Sean in Texas and little Al in Chantilly, Virginia, who has a UK retirement account and is desperate to quit now. Plus, how can Doug in St. Charles, Missouri do some tax arbitrage with pensions, Roth conversions, and Social Security? And can Mary switch to her ex-spouse's Social Security benefit? But first, we mentioned that if you go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, click Ask Joe and Al on air, and leave your question as a voice message, it would get first priority. I'm producer Andy Last with the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. And today, our first priority is Tyler with questions about restricted stock units and net unrealized appreciation. Hi guys, this is Tyler from Ohio. I am new to the show, only three episodes in. Since I heard audio messages would get priority, I thought I'd call and see if you would be so kind as to answer two questions for me. First, I just received $25,000 in restricted stock units that best in uh, 23. This is a first for me, so hearing about them in your episode 331 piqued my interest. Is it possible to move RSUs into a donor advice fund for charity and not pay taxes as ordinary income? Second, you briefly mentioned net unrealized appreciation in episode 332. My company has contributed to my retirement plan in company stock. My plan was once I hit 50, which I have several more years before that happens, I was going to start selling that off to diversify my 401k. Since having half of my retirement savings in one company isn't a great thing. Should I rethink that strategy because of the net unrealized appreciation potential? Would love your thoughts. Uh, By the way, I have a 2014 Toyota Sienna and a three-year-old cockapoo. Thanks, guys. Wow. You didn't have to read it. How about that? (laughs) I mean, we should hire her. (laughs) You should read them all. You think she she wrote that down and read it? It really sounded like it to me. It could be. I don't know. Or maybe she's that good. Maybe it's just off the cuff. Super smart. Yeah. But thank goodness for people who do actually like read stuff in advance. It really helps out a lot. Like Mr. Joe Anderson. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you, Tyler, for the question. Let's go to RSUs first, Al. So she's getting restricted share units. Yeah. So restricted stock unit is when a company, it's it's kind of, it's like a stock option. It's a little bit different, but how it works is is basically you're given uh, a certain amount of, of, of units to, to end up with company stock. And generally you, you don't get the stock right up front. You get a, you get a right to a stock when it vests. So, so let's say you got a hundred restricted stock units that vest over four years. So every year, another 25, uh, 25 units vest, whatever the stock price is worth at that point is, is what you have to pay tax on that gets added to your compensation. And then you have a choice. You can either sell the stock that now you own, right? Uh, to pay the taxes and to, and to pocket the difference, or you can keep the stock and that's that's fine too, but then you'd have to pay the company, the employment taxes, the federal withholding, the state withholding, the FICA, Medicare, that sort of thing. So that's, that's what a restricted stock unit is. Unfortunately, you don't really own the stock when you get the restricted stock unit. So you, it's like a stock option. You, you can't give that directly to charity, but one thing you can do is when they vest, 
you could actually donate those proceeds to charity. And there's, you can only do up to 30% of your adjusted gross income, but you could potentially get a dollar for dollar deduction, depending upon whether you're itemized or not. So $25,000 in restricted stock units, they don't vest until 2023. Right. $25,000 is going to show up on Tyler's tax return as income. Well, it, it's whatever it's worth at that time, right? So it could be worth the same or it could be worth double, right? So it's whatever it's worth at the time they vest is what goes on the W-2. Okay. You're just getting really in the Nats ass there. <laughs> well, I, what you said was false, so I had to correct you. <laughs> Roughly 25000 will be income depending on the movement of the stock price. Yeah, well, but is that what, I mean, what, 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 what if the stock this? goes up ten times? I got then it's it. Two hundred fifty thousand. Sure, sure, sure. I got that. <laughs> what she's asking is, she wants to offset the taxes with a donor advised fund. Yeah, so she could easily invest in a donor advised fund to offset the taxes in the year that the taxes hit. Correct, but she can't put the RSUs directly Correct. into it. Yeah, right. So the the strategy is not putting the RSUs of twenty five thousand dollars, which Al thinks is going to go ten x on you, which will be two hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> Whatever it is, you can offset the taxes for that given year by contributing to a donor advised fund, but you would need cash or a stock that is not the RSU to contribute to the yeah, donor. Advised yeah. Yeah. So so mechanically, theoretically, you could you get the restricted stock. You sell it, you've got the cash proceeds, you put the cash proceeds in a donor advised fund and you get a d- deduction. Right. Right. And there's there's some restrictions on deductions, but in, in theory, it could be a dollar for dollar offset. So it's looking at when they vest, what that tax liability is going to be, and then figuring out the tax strategy for that year yeah. to then offset any additional taxes because of the RSUs. Yeah, that's accurate. And and if that's the if that's the desired strategy, Tyler, then even better than that is if you have other securities outside of your retirement account that have appreciated, you put those in the donor advised fund, then you don't have to pay taxes on the gain and use that to offset the 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 um, income you have on the restricted stock units that vest. All right. <clears throat> Second, net unrealized appreciation. So let me briefly explain what that is, is that if you have company stock inside your 401k plan and you're an active participant of the 401k, you can then, once you, once a triggering event happens, okay, you can take the stock out of the 401k plan and put it into a brokerage account. You pay taxes on whatever the basis is. So because Tyler was for a company that, it's going to go 10x. <laughs> I don't think I said that. I said, what if? What if? <laughs> so if Tyler's company has highly appreciated company stock inside the 401k plan, she could take that out. For instance, let's say the company stock is worth a million dollars, but she her contribution to it is 100000 Sure. She could move the full million dollars out of the 401k plan pay ordinary income tax on whatever her cost basis is, in this example, $100,000. So as she sells the stock, she's taxed at capital gains rate versus ordinary income if she keeps everything in the 401k. Right. Her question is that she's not, she's retiring or what she want my plan once I hit 50, which is several years from now, she was going to start selling off. So she's right. young. 
Right. So she, her plan at age 50 is to start a, hey, I'm getting closer to retirement. I want to be more conservative. Yeah. I want to diversify, diversify a little yeah, bit more, which we would agree with. So, but if she works for the same company for quite some time until her retirement date, she's going to end up selling some of the company stock in diversifying it in other mutual funds. Right. That would then not, if she sold out all the company stock and, and bought mutual funds, then that eliminates the net unrealized appreciation. Right. Once you diversify, you can't do that anymore. I mean, so, so, so the question is, should, I mean, that's what she was planning on doing. Right. But should she rethink that? Right. And I don't know what company she works for. <laughs> it's going up 10 X. <laughs> well, if that's the case. Hold on. Who cares? Um, you, you could build a portfolio around the stock, but you don't want to, what's the stupid saying that all the other guys do the tax, the, the, the tax tail, yeah, don't, don't tail wag the, the dog. The, 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 yeah. Don't let the tax tail wag wave the, dog. Wag the, the vestment dog <laughs> or the, maybe the other way around. I don't know. Um, I, I think it depends on a lot of, um, it does depend because, well, first of all, there has to be a triggering event. So if you turn 50 and you're not going to retire till 65, the, you got to wait. I don't know how old you are now, but you, you're before 50. You're, you're younger than 50, Tyler, you said. So if you've got if you're going to wait another 20 years, then then you take a huge pause. Do I really think this company in 20 years from now is going to be in a good spot? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But if it's just a few, like, let's say, let's say Tyler's 48 and she's going to retire at 50, then yeah, that would be a great strategy as long as you you didn't feel like the company was about to go over the cliff. Right. Right. Yeah. If if it, so, there's timing. It's percentage. It seems to me that she's half her portfolio. Is that what she said? Yeah, um, half of her portfolio is, is in, company in the company stock. stock. Yeah. So, well, maybe you stop contributing to the company stock. You yeah. keep that there, and then you diversify with your future do it, do it contributions. Yeah, I like that. Right. And then, so over time, your percentage is going to be lower. Because your account balance should be theoretically larger because you're saving more over the right, years. Right. So, um, well, let's talk about so tr a triggering event. So that would be separation of service, separation retirement. of service, retirement or 59 and a half. Does, um, does 59 and a half count as a triggering event? It could for in some plans. In some plans. But then you can do, let's say if they do an in-service withdrawal with net unrealized appreciation of 59 and a half, then it freezes the plan. Yeah. In some cases I, we've seen that. Right. So yeah. you can't contribute to the plan anymore. Right. Which may not be what you want to do. Right. So you, you were able to get the stock out of the plan, diversify that way, do the tax strategy, but then your SOL yeah. in, in regards to saving any more money into the plan. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so a lot of options. Great questions, Tyler. Yeah, wonderful questions. Um, hopefully that does a halfway decent job of answering she's never gonna ask a question again <laughs> but she's only listened to three episodes now it's well, four and then that's it that's it usually that's the limit once people get to five it's like oh god like Tyler said, having half your retirement savings in one company probably is not a great thing. It may represent an unnecessary risk to your overall wealth. So how do you diversify a concentrated stock position in the most tax efficient way possible to minimize capital gains tax? 
And is tax efficiency even the most important thing to consider? Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and watch Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, the Director of Research and EVP here at Pure Financial Advisors, as he outlines some of the strategies available to diversify that concentrated stock position, depending on your specific circumstances. Now, all that said, since your specific circumstances are different than everyone else's, you may benefit from a more personalized, comprehensive look at your retirement readiness. Click the Get an Assessment button there in the podcast show notes and schedule a free financial assessment at a time and date convenient for you. There's no cost, there's no obligation, and chances are, no matter where you are in the country, one of the certified financial planner professionals at Pure will be able to pinpoint strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. How about Sean from Texas? Yep. Okay, are we on track for retirement? Me, 100K salary, wife, 55 salary. Uh, what's this me and wife stuff? This double whammy with them giving us the information here. Um, Roth 401k, 700,000 maxing out. Roth IRA, 46,000 maxing out. Uh, brokerage account, $70,000, $14,000 a year. Uh, wife IRA, Roth is 30,000 maxing that out. 401k, 5k, $5,000 per year. Home value, 415. Mortgage, 300. Cars are paid for. No debt. But mortgage. So that's the email. All so in we're, caps. We're <laughs> we're missing a fairly key point here. It's which like is, which is how much do you want to spend, and when do you want to retire? But I did do a little math just because I had extra time. So. Well, let's say it, all right, one hundred fifty-five thousand dollars is what their income is, minus him maxing out. So call that um, he's forty-three years old. Yeah. Okay. So. <clears throat> I'm going to do real simple math. Okay. $20,000, let's say, in 401k savings for the both of them. Yeah. Okay. Because she's 5% and he's maxing out. So can can we just say 20 grand? Would you buy that? I'll buy that. Okay. Um, Plus 14. So that's another. So $35,000 roughly in savings, but 20,000 is pre-tax. Well, plus two Roth IRAs. So call call it 50. Okay. Close enough. $50,000. So $100,000 minus the tax on that. Well, standard deduction, they're at six, call it, I don't know, eight grand, 10 grand total tax, state, federal, FICA. So say they're spending 90,000. That's okay. that's what I, that's my guess. Okay. 80,000? Yeah, I'd say, nah, yeah, okay. That's probably pretty close, 80, 90,000. So I see where you're going. So so it's like, all right, so he's starting with, let's see, 70, please. He's starting with, call it, I don't know, call it, starting with 900,000, let's just say. And he's saving 50 grand a year. You know, plug plug that in for whatever. Um, let me do this. Eighty thousand dollars living expenses. That's the present value. He's forty three. Say he wants to retire in twenty years at sixty three. Okay. All right. Um, let's use a three percent inflation rate. So living expenses are going to be one hundred forty four thousand um, dollars. Social Security is probably going to be call it forty grand with inflation on him. Um, so we'll be conservative, 40000 He's going to need $100,000 to retire, 0.04 divided. So he needs around $3 million in the next 20 years. Yeah. Okay. And he currently has how much? Call it eight fifty. He's got $850,000, and he's saving $50,000 a year. Correct. And he's going to retire in 20 years, and let's assume he gets 7% on his money. Uh, that would be $5.5 million. Yeah. So- Hey, Mr. All Caps, <laughs> very terrible information. Yes, you're yeah. on track. 
Now that's if you want to retire at age at, in 20 years from now. Right. And that's if you're spending what we guessed you're spending. So, so hopefully people with this example, you'll know what, what information we need. Yeah. Right. There's certain things in the equation that we need to put in. Right. When now, do you want to retire? If, if How much say, money are you spending? If you might, if you, if you would have said, I want to retire in two years, we would say, no, you're not there. Well, let's say if he wants to retire today. So if he's got $800,000, yeah. right? 850. Yeah. Call it 850. All right. So 4% is probably 35 grand. Uh, but Pro- we probably, wouldn't want to do that. Probably, probably three percent retiring. Yeah. So if he can spend twenty five thousand five hundred, you're on track. But it seems to me that he's spending a lot more than that, given the the incomes of the two. Right. Plus, if you retire earlier than sixty five, you got to figure out your health insurance. So, so, all caps. Are we on track for retirement? <laughs> me, her, <laughs> me, her. Cars paid, no debt. But mortgage. It is, well, first of all, it a is mortgage to, is a debt. It is to the point. <laughs> they know thanks, you like brevity. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sean from Texas. Appreciate that one. Hi, Joe. Big Alan Andy. Thank you for the great podcast and for making me smarter and making me laugh. All right. As I drive my 2013 gray Subaru, Subaru Tribeca around the DC suburbs. Some background I'm 50 years old. Earn a base salary of $120,000. My expenses are $50,000 a year. But in retirement, I'd like to spend net 80 to 100. Ideally, I'll scale back to halftime, work at 55, and retire completely at 62. In terms of savings, I have a small brokerage account. Bulk of my money is in the old retirement accounts, $1.7 million total. However, $950,000 is in a Roth IRA. Wow, that's impressive. Wow. Uh, $200,000 in a traditional 401k and $550,000 in a foreign UK retirement account. UK. Yeah. Right. He must've worked in the UK. For U.S. tax purposes, the UK account is a tax deferred and distributions, which I can take at 55 are treated as ordinary income. The funds can't be rolled out or converted into a U.S. retirement account. No RMD equivalent, but a lifetime allowance capped at $1.5 million apply. Distributions exceeding the lifetime allowance attract a special tax at source of at least 25%. In addition to savings, I expect to have some inflation-adjusted income later in life. He's got a $12,000 a year from a UK state pension at 68, $36,000 from a Social Security at age 70. Um, I don't anticipate a WEP impact or a windfall elimination provision for you rookies out there, <laughs> uh, provided I work to 62. My questions. Okay, about time. One, currently max out an HSA, a Roth IRA, in a traditional 401k rather than the Roth option. Oh, I currently max out HSA, a Roth IRA, and a traditional 401k rather than the Roth option. I also put $12,000 a year into my brokerage account along with half of any discretionary bonus. Am I allocating my savings appropriately across the right accounts? Should I make further Roth conversions before turning 55? I have $35,000 left in an old 401k. Number two. I'm inclined to drain my UK account as quickly as possible to reduce the exchange rate risk and stay clear of any lifetime allowances. How should I approach taking those withdrawals? Number three, is it feasible for me to slow 
to halftime in five years, or do I have to stay on the treadmill until 58 or 60? Longevity runs in my family, so I expect to enjoy a super long retirement. But frankly, I'm desperate to start now. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> right. We want to stop this show, in fact. <laughs> After reading this, it's like I am desperate to end this show. <laughs> uh, I look forward to your thoughts and jokes. Okay. That'd Thanks be- so much for taking the time. And for an awesome podcast, all the best. Little Al, uh, near Chantilly, Virginia. Chantilly. Chantilly. Don't we have another Chantilly person? I remember that. I believe it's Tom from Chantilly. Tom. And and now they've both told us that it's Chantilly. Chantilly. I don't care. It's Chaniquatilly. Wow. So he's going to have, what does he spend? 50 grand a year, something like that? Um, His expenses are 50. Yep. Okay, yeah, but he wants to retire on eighty to hundred. His salary is one twenty. His base salary is one twenty. Okay, so he's got one point seven million dollars. Yep. Um, at age fifty five, he gets the UK pension at twelve thousand dollars a year. All right, so he's going to need thirty eight thousand dollars a year from the overall portfolio um, because he can get that at age fifty five. Am I reading that right? Did I miss something? I also have twelve k. Hold on. Well, Versus- no, he's, he's got a pension which is different from the amount in the retirement account. What's the, the pension amount? The pension's twelve thousand a year, but that doesn't start till sixty-eight. Oh, I thought it was fifty-five. Yeah. Oh, he Wait. could take the five hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars from the UK retirement account at fifty-five. Right. Right. Um, okay. So is he? He's currently maxing out the four hundred one k, Roth IRA, and HSA. Let's answer this question: Should he be saving differently? He's got one point seven million dollars, but um, almost a million dollars of that Al is in a Roth IRA. Sure. Should he continue to go pre-tax? Should he go more Roth conversions? What should he do there? Yeah, I mean, if his pensions eventually between Social Security, which isn't even fully taxable, that's call it forty-five thousand, call it fifty thousand, let's say, and his, you know, he said he's going to probably try to drain out his UK account, so that leaves two hundred thousand dollars in a traditional four hundred one k, which the RMD on that's eight thousand a year. I'm not too worried about. That even if he leaves all the money in the foreign UK account, I I don't know enough about UK retirement accounts and how that works, but we'll just pretend it's like US. So even if that stays four percent of that is twenty grand. I mean, even if these things double, it's it's not a it's not a horrendous RMD. So he doesn't have an RMD in the UK. I I understand that, but I don't understand how it does work because we don't understand what the lifetime cap of million and a half. Well, that is. Um, probably that means that's how much you can put in there well that's the distributions coming back out i guess says lifetime allowance is capped out and then in it at the end he says we we have no idea how that works so i'm just pretending it's us for the time being (laughs) because we don't know how the the uk retirement system works but at any rate I, i guess my point is at this point he doesn't he doesn't have a ton in um in deferred accounts that are going to cause big um, RMDs. So, you know, I don't think, uh, does he have to do more Roth conversions before turning 55? I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think he's got a good balance. Yeah. I, I think so too. I think, I think Al, you do Roth conversions if you, you know, well, you can't do it on the foreign UK account, but you could do it on the traditional. I think you do that when you retire and your income's lower. Yeah. 
He's got 35K in the left and an old 401K. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you want to just blow it out, you're 50. So you still got a plenty, plenty of time for that thing to grow. Right. Right. If your living expenses are only 50K, you got 1.7. Um, you know, you can just do the math at 3% at 1.7 is a pretty good number. It's a good number. Yep. Right. Yep. No, that's right. Um, but yeah. he's still going to work part time. So yeah. Can, Which, yeah. Let's say he earns half as much or a third as much. I mean, let, let's, let's say, say he makes 25 grand, then his shortfall is 25,000. You put, right. Yeah. You put $25,000 into one seven. That's a one and a half percent burn rate. Right. So, yeah. So I, I would think you could, Al, if you want to, but you're thinking of working halftime in five years. And I, I can tell you from experience, your, your, um, your feelings change as you get older. So you, what you're feeling, you, you, you may not necessarily want to go to halftime in five years, but if, if that's what you really are planning on, I mean, just from this, what are your feelings? Al? Very quick. Your, your feelings well, are, let's have the feelings time. Your, your feelings are this Joe, when, when you get a little bit older, it's like, no, I'm not really ready to retire yet. I got, I got a lot to give. Got it. That's, those are my feelings anyway. Yeah. I'm until until after this show, <laughs> I just changed my mind. <laughs> uh, is it possible or feasible for me to slow to halftime in five years or do I stay on the treadmill? I say punch if you want. Um, I think financially, little Al, I think you're good to go. Yeah, I, I do too. You're just going to have to figure out how much you need to make part time, but it shouldn't be that complicated. Right. Because you, you, you don't spend a ton. You spend $50,000, you've saved a couple of million bucks. Um, you're going to have fixed income sources that almost cover your entire fixed income need. Right. So you're going to have larger distributions from now until 68 and 70. Uh, but you want to retire at, you know, let's say at 50. I, I still think that, you know, that, that there's, you want to run the numbers. Of course, this is just a spitball. Yeah. It's, it is a spitball because, because to really to get this right, you, you, you would need to do cash flow planning from now to end of life. And we can't do it in our head. You can't even do it on your calculator. We need some help. Yeah. We're not that smart. <laughs> Uh, what are you doing? You're doing some kind of calculation. Well, 50,000 into 1.7 million is 2.9%. Right. I understand. But he wants to spend 80 to hundred. So he's trying to, he's trying to fatten it up so he can get to that level. And I think he probably can even working halftime, but you know, again, it's. So if he makes 50,000 spends a hundred. Yeah. Right. So then 50,000 needs to come from the portfolio. That's 3% at each 50. I'm pretty good with that burn rate. Yeah, I know. But the, but the 50,000 pension doesn't start till 68 to 70. I'm saying he's working part-time. Got it. And then he replaces, then he stops working part-time when he's got the pension. Got it. Very cool. Right. So he, he's desperate now. (laughs) He's desperate. (laughs) And so if he can, stop the, the normal grind and get a job making 50 grand. Right. And then get the other 50,000 from the portfolio. He should be okay. Okay. I'll go along with that. All right. Thanks little Al. How about you? Are you desperately ready to punch with pandemics and market volatility and whatever the future holds for inflation and social security and taxes? It's hard to know if you are financially ready. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our retirement readiness guide. It's free. You can find out how to control your taxes in retirement, create income to last a lifetime, and learn seven plays to help you get retirement ready, despite all of those uncertainties. And the Retirement Readiness Guide won't cost you a thing. If you've got more money questions, fill up the inbox. Click Ask Joe and Al on air in the podcast show notes and shoot us a voice message or an email.
All right, we got a novel, Al. We got Doug from St. Charles, Missouri, um, spent about a week writing this email. Yeah, this uh, spans a few pages. Hi, Anne, uh, Andy, Joe and Al. Giving Andy top billing because I believe in ladies first. And I'm sure that both of you are gentlemen and are in complete agreement. Uh, yeah. I, 100%. All right, Doug. Joe, I had to think about that one for a minute. <laughs> it's, I was going to wait for Joe's answer. Yes, I do agree with you, Doug. All right. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. The information you provide is helpful. And the constant banners, fun to hear. I also appreciate when there's a question, when there's some disagreement between the two of you, so we can get a better appreciation of all sides of the situation. I came across your podcast about six months ago and liked it. As a result, I went back to the start of 2020 to listen to all of your shows since then. Okay, now Doug is a serious problem. He's a psychopath. <laughs> well, at least he didn't start in 2016. God, only yeah. a few sh- only a few shows remaining until I get caught up. Well, Doug, when you get caught up, go back to 2019. That was our best year <laughs> forever. It's like a fine wine. Uh, get caught up and only be able uh, to listen to one show a week. And all of the shows I've listened to, I've not heard a question like mine. Okay, well, okay. that's why you got to go back in time. And I guarantee you we've answered this question 14 times. Okay, my wife and I... I live in St. Charles, Missouri, which is just west of St. Louis and the Missouri River. I used to drive a low mileage 22 Ford F-150 until recently when I lost an argument with the deer at 45 miles an hour. Um, I fared much better than the deer. I'm almost 62 and currently making around $150,000 a year and hope to retire in about two years. Been maxing out my Roth 401k and also making Roth IRA contributions for the both of us. My wonderful wife is 60, stays home, and has been watching our three-year-old granddaughter. We have no debt at all. We have approximately $2 million in our investment accounts currently. At this time, it's split fair evenly between qualified Roth and regular accounts. Uh, the question involves pensions. My wife and I each get one. Roth conversions and Social Security taxation. Um, or uh, We each get one. Roth conversions and Social Security that's, taxation. That's his question. Um, okay. It's about all these things. It is basically tax rate arbitrage. Ooh, big word. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You got that uh, here we go. You've, we've said that on the air. So Joe he, says it all he, the time. Do I say that? Yeah. yeah. Said it today already. Well, then I must be super smart because <laughs> <laughs> only really smart people start throwing out the word arbitrage. <laughs> it is basically tax rate arbitrage that deals. See, when I read and then when I talk, I think I'm two different people. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, I'm just super concentrating on reading words. Yeah, right. Just chatting, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm getting better at reading now. You, you're this, you're this, spectacular. This, this is helping me out. This, <laughs> <laughs> it's my second career. I'm just going to read like nursery rhymes to <laughs> the elderly. Got it. Perfect. Well, this is good practice. Then. Uh, it is basically tax rate arbitrage that deals with paying much taxes now in exchange for eliminating most or all taxes in the future. We are currently in the 22% tax bracket and will likely be in either the 25 or 28 tax bracket Obama era tax rates. Once we start taking RMDs, assuming no conversions, we are evaluating two different options. Both options assume a full conversion of our existing IRAs over the next 10 years or so. In both of our options, we are assuming that we will be consuming and converting our qualified money from age 65 to age 70. 
Here are the two options, Al. Okay. All right. Number one, take our Social Security at age 72 and 70 and our pensions as a monthly annuity at age 65. Okay. First of all, out the <laughs> gate there, Doug. You're talking arbitrage. You're kind of getting fancy with your words. And you're throwing money away. I know here. That you're going to start taking Social Security at 72? No. Take it at 70. You have to just take it at 70. Yeah. Follow Andy's <laughs> advice. Take it at 70. Yes. Andy's giving advice now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have even learned from this show that there's no point in taking it after 70 because 70 is where you max out on how much benefit you can get. Yeah, that so is you, correct. You throw away two years of arbitrage. arbitrage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're taking your benefit at 70. All right. Um, so there you go. We just saved you probably 100 grand. All right. And our pensions as a monthly income at age 65. At age 70, we will have a total income of $166,000 per year. Pension of 76, Social Security. 89. Using the AARP current online calculator, this would result in annual taxes of approximately $20,000. We would also have retirement assets of $1.5 million. We would likely not need to take much from here since our monthly income would exceed what we would likely spend. Okay. All right. So just to... So that's one option. All right. He's going to take... Push out Social Security, take um, take the annuity pension at 65, 76,000 is the pension, $90,000 Social Security. So combined income of 167. Yep. Is that right? 166, he says it. Um, yeah. Okay, I try to do some math quick. Nice. Yeah, you were, you were right. 166. You're, you're very good. <laughs> Super good. Sorry. You're within $1,000, yeah. the right answer. Yeah. So I can say arbitrage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That sounds like a solid plan. Yeah. Number two, take our social security at age 70. We would take our pensions as lump sum, $1.1 million at 65, roll them into IRAs and convert, consume over the next five to seven years. At age 72 and 70, that time, we will have total income of $89,000 per year, all of it being social security. Using the AARP current online calculator, this would result in annual taxes of $0. We would also have retirement assets of $2.3 million. We would need to access some of the minimal amount in our mid-80s for all the necessities, as well as a bunch for fun spending. Comparison one, uh, we will give us a guaranteed income for the life in excess of our basic necessities and will pay approximately $20,000 a year in taxes using current tax law. Option two will require paying taxes on income in higher prices over the next 10 years than we would in option one. Based on an ROM analysis, I am calculating that we could pay up to an extra $150,000 in additional taxes in IRMA surcharges over the next 10 years. After that time, the tax savings from having only Social Security income will $20,000 in year 11 and out. Um, now he's kind of messing up his writing skills. <laughs> I would also eliminate the widow-widower tax penalty, possible IRMA penalties later in life, help simplify our estate, and likely benefit our heirs. It would also likely eliminate the potential risk in means testing of Social Security in the future, similar to today. Uh, with IRMA surcharges. As a data point, in looking at our Social Security income, it will cover all of our anticipated spending on a minimum dig dignity floor or necessities at least until the mid-80s. These expenses forecasts are very conservative. We assume 7% for health care, 4% for other expenses. Uh, since you don't give advice, I would love to have you guys spitball, uh, get your thoughts on this line of thinking 
and if it's reasonable for you to shed light on where this is flawed, hopefully this is enough information. Doug from Missouri. Okay. Oh boy. Okay. Man. Um, so let's see. So we have, <laughs> let me try to recap. He's got $2 million in investment accounts currently, which is fairly equally split between qualified, which is non-retirement Roth and regular accounts, which are IRAs, 401ks. So a third, a third, a third. So call it six fifty each. The, the, the major question I believe is that if he takes a pension, it's it's going to be a plenty of fixed income that's going to cover him and his wife's needs. Sure, right. And then he's going to have these other assets that he could potentially do whatever he wants with. That's the liquidity. Right. right? So he's got conservative it's safety. Um, you, you're locked in. You're good to go. You got a pension. You got your Social Security. All good. Then the RMD is going to be the issue, right? Sure. So now he's got $166,000 of income. He's going to have, I don't know, what's left in the IRA. That RMD is going to get kicked out and right, he's going to be paid tax on whatever rate. And he's going to be stuck at that rate just because of the, the large fixed income that he has. Correct. And so let's see, what age is he, is he right now? I got lost in the text here. <laughs> um, he's almost 62. Okay, so basically ten years before RMD age. So even um, so, right now, let's call it six hundred thousand. Let's say it doubles, right? So one point two million. So the RMD will be almost fifty thousand, roughly fifty grand. So mm-hmm. that would be added to the one hundred sixty-six thousand. With two hundred ten, two hundred ten minus standard deduction would be in what what is now the twenty-four percent bracket, barely, you know, but into the twenty-four percent bracket, which will probably be the twenty-eight percent bracket. So. Would, would conversions be in order? And I think that was one option. See, I, I don't think you have to necessarily convert every penny. I think that was option one. Yeah, he was going to convert everything over a 10-year period. Right. I'm not so sure you need to do that because part of your analysis is, is you're, you're basically paying no tax, but your social security and pension is high enough, it's going to cause taxation. So I, at least if I understood your options here, I think you are going to pay taxes even if you don't have any RMDs. Right. That, that's option one. So if he did, does option one, here's your planning. You take the pension, you have your social security, take your social security at age 70, take your pension at 65, and then take a look right now. What tax bracket are you in? You make $150,000 a year. You're in the 22% tax bracket. It still makes sense to convert today to the top of the 22% tax bracket. And then if you take the pension, keep converting to the top of whatever bracket until the tax rates change. Right. So you either go to the top of 22 or 24 because you will be in the 25 or 28. So getting to the top of the 24 might be the right answer. And that bracket's huge. It's up to $350,000 of taxable income. So that's if you take the pension. The second step that you have to do, if you don't take the pension, your only fixed income sources is the $90,000 in Social Security that you won't take until age 70. So then you have now $2.3 million in retirement accounts, but he has other assets in the Roth and brokerage account. Right. You live off the brokerage account and you convert the $2.3 million up to the top of the 22% tax bracket. Yeah, or 24. Or 24, depending on how much money that you have outside of the retirement accounts to pay the tax. And then you want to look at the Irma limits, which is 177,000. Maybe so you do a conversion of the 177. Everyone's so up in arms on the stupid Irma. Right. It's you have four million dollars. Who cares if it's another seven hundred dollars a year for a couple of years to get several hundred thousands of dollars into a Roth that you'll never ever pay tax on again? Right. So I don't know. That bugs me if you can't tell. <laughs> 
It seemed like you got a little hot. So I'll try to go back and see if I agree with you. So option one is basically you're taking your, your pension, you're taking your social security. And let's see, are we converting in that one? I would. I would too. I don't know if you said that or not. Convert to the top of the 22% tax yeah, bracket. I would convert to the top of the 22, maybe even the 24, I would consider it, right? As far as the second one, uh, doing a lump sum. So now it's all in the deferred and convert. Again, I would, it's the same idea, whether you do one or the other, you would want to convert as much as you can in reasonable tax brackets. But here's what some people do is they convert so much, they push themselves in such a higher bracket mm -hmm. to be in such a low bracket. They could have had 12% bracket, which is a low bracket. And they were paying 32% taxes to get there. At the end of the day, his social security is going to cover his basic living expenses. Right. So now we're just really, you know, sharpening the saw here and probably wasting everyone's time listening to this because either way, he's fine. His yeah, goals are true. accomplished. So now it's all right. How conservative are you? Do you want the guaranteed income? If you want the guaranteed income and don't worry about trying to create income from the overall portfolio, take the fixed income pension and then do everything that you can outside of the liquid assets that you have to get it more tax efficient to go to the heirs. If you want more flexibility, but also more responsibility, then you take on the lump sum. The, the other thing he's got to think about is what's the lump sum number? Was it 1.7 or 1.1? 1.1. So 1.1 versus... And the payout's 76. Okay, so your internal rate of return on that, depending on when he dies, is probably 4.5%. And how you figure that out is... You just figure out the IRR of when you're going to collect a pension, what you think your life expectancy is, right? What your payment is. And then you can kind of figure out what your rate of return would be. And that's a guaranteed rate of return. So let's say the pension is going to be a guaranteed rate of return of 4%. If you feel that you cannot achieve 4% in the overall markets or in your portfolio over the next 20, 30 years, whatever, then absolutely take the pension. And I don't know. You probably listen to a bunch of these podcasts because I've heard of the dignity floor before, <laughs> and I can't stand that term. <laughs> anyway, either option is fine. So I'm, I'm going to go back to an answer I, I already did with another question. So if you want the exact appropriate answer, you've got to do cash flow planning and you've got to do some present value, anal present value analysis, just like Joe mentioned, which is basically... If, we'll just go down to the pension versus lump sum. You look at all the pension payments you're going to receive over your lifetime, whatever you think you're going to live to. You do the present value analysis of that or net present value compared to the lump sum and you see which one's better, right? I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. But yeah, I, I would personally, if it were just me, I'm just going to spitball me. I would do option one. I, if I already had 2 million, it's nice to have fixed income guaranteed too. It's like, I got the best of both worlds. Now relax, right? Have yeah. fun. I would take option two. There you go. Right. Because I think that I have a little bit more liquidity. I have a little bit more control. I don't want to pay taxes on income that I'm not necessarily spending. Sure. And maybe some years I'm going to have leaner years that I'm not going to spend nearly as much. Right. Well, then it's my choice to take on as much as I want besides the required minimum distribution. But I got 10 years, yeah. you know, to, to kind of put myself in the, the absolute best position before RMDs. Yeah. I'm going to have five years until my pension kicks in. And then I got another five years after that until social security. I know I'm fine. I'm not going to blow myself completely up because I'm going to have a lot of conservative investments in the portfolio, but it's going to give me more flexibility. It also depends upon your wife. 
Does she like the fixed income? So in my case, that's part of my what I'm factoring in because Anne would like to have fixed income. And I would think, all right, I already got two million. That's pretty good. I would probably work hard on converting the 600,000 or so that I had in an IRA to at least reduce the tax problem that way and then just enjoy my life. That's what I would do. Yeah. Oh, that's the cart girl, what she thought about it all. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So now it's Mary's turn. Mary. And my question is, if you're uh, retired and I've been collecting benefits since I was 62 and that's quite a few years ago, but now I'm looking to increase my income, can I switch to my former spouse's social security benefits? And we were married 10 years. If you can answer that question. Thank you. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So Mary 62. Well, she's been collecting benefits since 62. And that was quite a few years ago. Okay. She says. And so now she's like, Hey, I want a little bit Larger benefit. Yeah. I, yeah. And can I switch to my spout, former spouse's social security benefits? Because she's been married 10 years or more. Okay. Which is important. I mean, if it's 10 years or more, the answer is yes. <laughs> if it's less than 10 years, the answer is no. What do you think, Al? Yeah, you can. But but the question is, is the former spouse living or not? And are they social security age? So there's a few questions that you'd have to answer to figure out what the benefit could be and whether it makes sense. So she claims the ex-spouse's spousal benefit. Right. Right? Yep. So that is going to be 50% of the full retirement age, but she's already claimed at 62. I know. So it's going to be reduced. It's going to be 33% of his benefit. Well, right. Because had she waited a full retirement age, she'd get the full 50% of that benefit. But since she claimed at 62, she's going to have a reduction of the spousal benefit. Correct. So, but now what if that other spouse had passed away? Okay. So so then the survivor benefit is what you're getting at. Yes. Right. So if he's deceased and married for 10 years and she has not remarried, then she would be eligible for the survivor benefit yeah which is the whole thing correct which i don't know if he's do you know if he's dead but it doesn't say (laughs) that's what what i'm saying we have need or what if mary married a young guy maybe he's only 55 and hasn't claimed his benefit yeah because he can't so then the answer is no so to claim a spousal benefit the person needs to be claiming but it's a divorced spouse right if it's a divorce, divorce spouse, I think it's that if the person is eligible to claim, right? Correct. Right. They don't have to claim, but they're eligible to claim. Right. So, which means they have to be at least 62. So, um, but I think where the question comes in is that she wants to increase her income. Sure. Do you think her benefit at age 62 is going to be more or less then 30% of his full retirement age benefit, it's probably going to be a wash. Could be, but we, you know, we don't Or hers know. Is might even be, you know, we don't know the yeah. numbers, of course. Yeah, but, but, but that's the thing, because some, sometimes people hear that and they think, oh, I can claim my, my, my former spouse's benefit. And well, if they're living, it's the spousal benefit, which is 50%. If you did it at, at full retirement age, which she didn't, she did it at age 62. So it's a reduced 50%, which is kind of where you're at, the 33%-ish, somewhere somewhere in there. Right. Yeah. So um, if, if Mary had any type of, you know, even the median or average benefit, 
Yeah. You know, I would, I would imagine I, that's probably on, the same or on the other hand, if he's passed away, then yeah, then, then it's the full benefit. And what's interesting about social security is year by year, like, let's say you were married five times, 10 years each, you can, you can go back and forth. So you're claiming the spouse on this one and oops, this one died. Oh, that's a better fit. I'm going to switch to that one. Right. And then the other one died that you're getting the spouse. Oh, I'm going to switch. You, you can make that switch whenever it, it, it is better for you. <laughs> so as long as you've been married for 10 years. Yeah. 10 years yes. per. So that's a little tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <The> dating app. <laughs> it's too bad. Social security doesn't just figure out what is the best for you and send it to you. You have to do all the work yourself. Well, you know how understaffed Social Security is? And oh, there's yeah. 500 yeah. some odd thousand different rules with Social Security yeah. and how many claimants that they have. There's no way. They're not even allowed to give you advice. It's like you try to give a, hey, what, what's my, the best claiming? Um, you know, it's like call, calling the IRS and ask, asking them for tax advice. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Right. So they're not going to give you any advice. They'll tell you what the rules are, but that's about it. Right. Uh, but this hopefully they get it right when you call. R- right. <laughs> But in most cases with Social Security, it's tough. There's th- th- their job is not to give advice, right? Their job is to t- tell you what you can and cannot do. Can I claim at 62? Yes. Can I claim at 67? Yeah. You know what I mean? Am I eligible for this or that? That's really their function, not necessarily to maximize the overall benefit. So hopefully that helps, Mary. We lose Andy. Oh, she's no, I'm still here. But you gotta go. Okay, gotta go. The show's called your money or wealth. Remember, Joe loves the sound of your voices, so voice messages get top priority. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Al on air to send in yours. Stick around for the derails right after these final words. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. I was just thinking, when I decide to retire, I'm going to retire in the middle of a podcast. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to say I'm desperate to get out of here, Jerry. You finish it up. I'm done. I'm going to Chantilly. <laughs> I'm going to be Little Al. Little Al. I'm going to find Tom. <laughs> Hang out. Or uh, there's a couple guys that have, they tell us they have, you know, fridges in their garage they do then those are the people i'm hanging but out with. they always invite you not yeah me. because they're smart <laughs> uh, all right giving andy top billing because i believe in ladies first and i'm sure that both of you are gentlemen and are in complete agreement uh yeah i 100 all right doug joe i had to think about that one for a minute <laughs> it's, i just gotta wait for joe's answer yes i do agree with you doug in fact, a couple callers ago, someone was talking about the wife. I've learned it's not appropriate to say the wife. You they say, have names. You say my wife or you say Anne. Uh, you don't say the wife. Got it. I did Thank the you, Doug. I did the home improvement for the wife. Usually doesn't go over well. Uh, when, I, bought, when, I bought this car for the you know the little lady. The, yeah, usually when the wife hears that, doesn't like being referred to as the wife. Got it. Do you refer yourself as the Big Al? 
<laughs> of course. The husband. The, the, the husband. Um, honey, I'd like to, you to refer to me as the Big Al. The Big Al was hungry last night. <laughs> the Big Al had a few beers. The Big Al got a little frisky. Um, all right. Uh, did you come over last night? <laughs> 